0: Well, good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us here this morning. Well, we are rounding out our sermon series on the Christian spiritual disciplines with just a few more weeks to go. We've already discussed prayer, rest, and Bible study. And last week we considered silence and solitude. Now, all of those disciplines can be challenging in their own unique ways. After all, the disciples had to ask Jesus to teach them to pray. Rest doesn't always come naturally to us in our fast-paced world. And Bible study can be intimidating to many. And as for silence and solitude, well, who has time for that? But while our disciplines so far may have been challenging, I don't think any of them really make us uncomfortable. None of those disciplines have the potential to make one's defenses go up quite like today's. That's because this morning we're talking about the discipline of stewardship. Now, some of you may instantly start squirming anytime a church talks about money. And sadly, you may have good reason for that. But take heart, because today's sermon and stewardship as a whole isn't just about money. Stewardship is also about time, gifts, skills, experiences. Churches need willing volunteers, faithful servants, and wise leaders to accomplish their mission in God's kingdom just as much as we need finances. Again, stewardship is not just about money. However, I would also say, don't get too comfortable. Because while the discipline of stewardship isn't only about money, it's still very much about money. And quite frankly, we won't apologize for discussing something that is so regularly addressed in Scripture. And I'm not embarrassed to call you, as one of God's people, to do what God has called you to do with your resources. So, we'll be discussing that this morning, starting with Psalm 24. Feel free to open up, use a Bible here if you need to, take a Bible home if you don't have one. But, before we read in Psalm 24, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to gather and worship. Thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for friends. Thank you for new faces. Thank you, Lord, if there's even people who don't believe here. Uh, I pray that we would be hospitable and that we would present the gospel clearly this morning. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to remember. In some ways, it feels like every Sunday is kind of the same. We go to the same place and we sing the songs, most of which we already know, and we Hear meditations from people who we've heard from before and hear sermons preached by the same person most weeks and take communion every week. But at the same time, Lord, remind us that we need to remember. We need the same things over and over again. We need that constant reminder of Christ's broken body and shed blood with the bread and the juice of communion. We need the reminders with those words that we sing. We need the reminders of how you call us to steward our resources that we're about to dig into into your word. We need to pray together. We need to be together as siblings and as fellow servants in Christ. So, Lord, thank you for Sunday morning and this opportunity that we have to do all of those things. I pray that you would use them to build us up in our love for you, our faith in you, Our desire to obey you. Lord, again, we lift this all up to you. We hope this Sunday is good for us, beneficial for us. But more than anything, we hope it's glorifying to you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Starting in Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Perhaps the most basic, universal, bedrock principle of the discipline of stewardship is this. Everything we have comes from God. Everything we have comes from God. In a sense, none of us truly owns anything. All that is good is given to us by God, and we're just managing it for the time being. In the eternal scheme of things, all the stuff that we've mentioned, time, gifts, skills, experiences, and yes, wealth and possessions, don't ultimately belong to us. As we just read, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell therein. James reminds us in chapter 1, verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Donald Whitney writes the house or apartment you live in is God's house or apartment. The trees in your yard are God's trees. The grass that you mow is God's grass. Whitney goes on and on and on and lists all these different examples of all the things we own and says that they are all God's. But then he says, so the question is not how much of my money should I give to God? But rather, how much of God's money should I keep for now? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell therein. So in a sense, we don't truly own anything. We are stewards of what God has temporarily entrusted to our care. If all you leave this sermon with is that core principle, then you are well on your way to a better understanding and a better practice of today's spiritual discipline. Nevertheless, the Bible has far more to say on this subject, especially when it comes to material wealth. Again, you were warned. A few important points to keep in mind. First, scripture tells us that material wealth and possessions can be a good gift of God's grace, can be a good gift of God's grace. The promised land was a gift to the people of Israel after generations of slavery in Egypt, offspring, territory, relative freedom within God's good parameters, And even a kind of national power and sovereignty were all understood as blessings from God. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. When acquired justly and stewarded responsibly, material wealth can be a good gift of God's grace. Psalm 104 verses 14 and 15 remind us, That God causes the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate. That he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. The resources that God has given us, material or otherwise, are not inherently bad. Christians do not have to live Spartan lifestyles of nothing but the bare necessities to glorify God. Rather, God calls us to enjoy the good things he gives us with thankfulness in our hearts and to steward them well. But, and there's always a but, isn't there? Here's the second point. We would be fools to not recognize the very real temptations posed by all the things that God gives us in his grace. Back to Psalm 104, the food meant to sustain us can lead to the sin of gluttony if we love it too much. The wine meant to gladden our hearts can lead us to the sin of drunkenness if we fail to steward it rightly. Even the promised land, this wonderful gift that God gave to Israel, could prove to be a snare to them. That's why God warns the Israelites in Deuteronomy 8 against getting so focused on the promised land itself that they forget who gave it to them. One of the sins the Old Testament prophets had to rail against was Israel's corruption, injustice, and neglect of the poor for the sake of greed. Proverbs 11.4 reminds us that riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Riches can be a great gift of God, but they'll only take you so far. 1 John 2.15-17 reminds us. In 1 Timothy 5, 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul reminds us that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It can be a spiritual danger to us when we don't steward it well. It's all over the place. The Old Testament and New Testament alike warn us that as sinful men and women, we have endless potential to take the good things God gives us and turn them into idols. And that doesn't even include what Jesus has to say. He reminds us in Matthew 6 that earthly treasures will be eaten by moths. They rust. They can even be stolen. But treasures in heaven last into eternity. In Mark 4, the parable of the sower, Jesus compares those who fall away from his word because of cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things, he compares them to plants choked to death by thorns. And in Luke 12, Jesus tells the story of the rich fool, the man who had everything in this life but wasn't prepared to stand before God in the next. Again, all these good gifts that God gives us can be a wonderful blessing from God. But in this fallen world, and as sinful people, we are arrogant and naive if we assume that we are immune from the temptation to worship them as an idol, rather than steward them for God's glory. In Matthew 19, a rich young man approaches Jesus with a question. Very simple one, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, after a short conversation, Jesus diagnoses the major idol in this young man's heart. And it's his wealth. So Jesus tells him to give it all to the poor and follow him. Sadly, the man rejects Jesus' call. So Jesus warns his disciples that only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, does that mean that Jesus requires every single one of his followers to give up all material possessions? Is that what stewardship looks like? Well, no. But could he call you to? Well, if you worship your wealth instead of stewarding it, he just might. Time, gifts, skills, experiences, wealth, some of the most obvious things that God calls us to steward for his glory can be great blessings from God, beneficial to his kingdom. But as we've seen throughout Scripture... And from the mouth of Jesus himself, they can also be a massive stumbling block if we love them too much. So how can we avoid this danger? How can we have a healthy practice of stewardship for our godliness, for the benefit of those around us, and for God's glory? Well, thankfully, Scripture speaks to that as well. One of the biggest ways that God teaches us to be good stewards of our resources is his command to be generous. We're called to be generous in the context of worship. Now, how can we do that in the corporate worship of the church? Well, for starters, you can look for opportunities to serve rather than be served. Instead of viewing Sunday morning as an opportunity for you to consume goods and services, the attitude that you go to the grocery store or the mall or the coffee shop with, you can come here on Sunday mornings looking to utilize your time, your gifts, your skills, your experiences for the good of the body of Christ. That might be making coffee before the service or helping with kids in a classroom Or singing on stage, if that's your gift. Look to be generous in the context of worship. And yes, of course, you can give financially. It's worth noting that the New Testament does not strictly uphold the Old Testament practice of tithing. And in the Old Testament, tithing was likely well north of 23%. Not the 10% that we're often used to hearing about. In the New Testament, no hard and fast formula is laid out. Rather, we're simply called to give generously. And that will look different for different people. However, I'd suggest that for most people in most situations, 10% actually can be a very helpful goal or a good starting point. We're called to be generous in our worship with our money, but also with much more than our money. We're also called to be generous in terms of mission. The Apostle Paul was not shy in asking churches to give their time, their resources, and their prayers to mission work around the world. In Second Corinthians 9, Paul even appeals to a healthy sense of competition to raise funds for believers in Jerusalem. A very worthwhile passage for us to take away from this morning is 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 17. It applies extremely well to a church like ours. Paul writes, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. That really encapsulates a lot of what we've already talked about. Verse 18. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. One of the best ways for us to be rich in good works as wealthy believers is to support mission work locally, nationally, and internationally. To fund ministry that we might not ever be able to do. To fund people to go places that we might never be able to go to share the gospel with people who we will likely never meet. That's one good way that we can be rich in good works. Being generous to missions. But we're also called to be generous to the poor. In God's Old Testament law, Israelite farmers were instructed to leave the edges of their fields unharvested just in case a widow, an orphan or a foreigner walking by needed something to eat. There was also the year of Jubilee, where once every 50 years, Israelites who were forced to sell their ancestral land would get it back as a fresh start. Proverbs 22, verse 2, speaks of the dignity of the poor, reminding us that they are created by the same God who created the rich. And this carries over into the New Testament as well. In Acts chapter 4, one of the things that made the early church so astounding to the surrounding world was that there was not a needy person among them. Brothers and sisters in Christ who had more took it upon themselves to care for those who had less. Now, we as Christians can faithfully disagree about the nuts and bolts of how to address the incredibly complex issue of poverty on a much larger scale. But the Bible is very clear about our personal responsibility to love the poor in the name of stewardship, especially when those people are our siblings in Christ. So one of the best ways to put this discipline into practice is to be generous, as God commands us to do. Of course, this will not come naturally to most of us. As Terry mentioned in our communion meditation, we need God's grace to live this out. We need the help of the indwelling spirit to actually practice these things. And God is very generous with his spirit to all who believe. This won't come naturally to most of us. When we served at a previous church, being younger, more immature, and much poorer than we are now, Olivia and I did not give consistently to the church that I helped lead. And we recognize the issues with that. Trust me, I get it. I understand how difficult generosity is. And I'm a pastor. But generosity can teach us that we may not need as much as we thought we did. It can teach us to hold on loosely to the things that do not last into eternity. And it can teach us to trust in God's faithful provision. But how might all the stuff we've talked about this morning apply specifically and uniquely to this local church? Well, I'll be honest with you. Our church is approaching a crossroads. By our best estimates, approximately two-thirds of our financial giving comes from households that are over the age of 55. In addition, most of our elders fall into roughly that same age bracket. And when you think about it, the same is true of many of our most faithful volunteers, many of our ministry team leaders. Those people aren't going to be around forever. They won't always be able to give, lead, and serve the way they do now and have for so long. We need more people. We need younger people step up to the plate. Now more than ever, we must be good stewards of our church's resources. That's why our administration team has worked hard to make sound financial decisions, both in the short term and the long term. That's why we're thinking and praying hard about who the future elders are, who the future small group leaders are. Who the future ministry team team leaders may be. And we would ask you to be thinking and praying about the same things. For the sake of your own godliness. But also for the good of this church. And in service to God's broader kingdom. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8-9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We do not strive to be good stewards of all that God has given us in order to pay him back, as if that were somehow possible. We do not practice the discipline of stewardship to buy blessings from God. That's the prosperity gospel. And it's a dangerous sham. And we do not give, lead, or serve with the gifts that God has given us for the sake of showing off. It's God's glory, not ours, that we're after. We give because Christ gave. We give out of gratitude, love, and obedience to him. We examine his body and blood on the cross. We think of the poverty that he came into so that we might become rich. And how can we not give? We practice stewardship for the sake of growing in our own godliness. But also for the good of our fellow believers. For the good of our neighbors. The good of God's church. And the advancement of God's kingdom. We can trust that we don't have to hoard everything for ourselves. Because we know that God will provide for us. We know that because he already has. By the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We steward our temporary resources well. Knowing that we have something far better than any time, gifts, skills, experiences, or wealth in this world. We have something far better in eternity. We have Christ. So may our practice of this spiritual discipline be one tool of reflecting that glorious truth to the world around us. Just one tool to grow us in godliness. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would watch over this church, that you would sustain us, that you would provide for us, that we would be the church that you call us to be in this community and beyond. That you would unify us as siblings in Christ, that you would sanctify us as bearers of your spirit, your representatives in this world. And I pray that one way you would do really all of those things is by teaching us to be good stewards. Lord, thank you for all the people who have been good stewards for so long, have given so faithfully of their time and their skills and everything else. Thank you that this church is standing here because of the good stewardship of saints before us, some of whom may be in this room. But Lord, I pray that we would continue to be good stewards of everything that you've given to us. Thanking you for all of it as a good gift, but also recognizing that it ultimately doesn't belong to us. And if we try to hoard it for ourselves, that can lead us into great spiritual harm. So Lord, help us be generous to one another. Help us be generous to good mission work that honors you and glorifies you. Help us be generous to each other, not just with all the things that we've listed, but generous with grace, generous with mercy, generous with forgiveness, generous with benefit of the doubt. Help us be patient with each other. Lord, let our stewardship be one small example of living out the reality that you have declared about us. That by faith in Christ, we are righteous. We are justified. Lord, help us live that out. Put our money where our mouth is. And worship you not just with our words, but with our lives. Help us use everything you've given us well for your glory. With gratitude, with joy, with awe of how good and how generous you've been to us. We love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.